You're listening to the 123 show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Monday afternoon. We're talking a little bit more about infertility therapy and also the emotional stress with Alison Halexa, a psychotherapist and consultant at the Midwives Clinic, Annaly, which is part of the OTMP Healthcare. Welcome back on the program, Alison. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me, Noreen. Thank you very much for being here. We're also on Facebook Live as well. Um, you can uh, weigh in. You can uh, feel free to share your comments, your own journey with us as well. Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3. So first of all, Alison, what are some of the emotional stress that you've come across uh, associated with infertility? Yeah, the the emotional stress can be huge. So a lot of people go through, you know, periods of depression, anxiety, um, heavy feelings of shame, like there's something really wrong with them, um, feelings of failure feelings that um, they're not going to be able to kind of actualize some of their dreams. So I would say the emotional stress can be absolutely huge when you're facing infertility. When we're talking about the guilt and and the shame, a lot of the times there's that self-blame or or do you see the blame towards each other? How how does it work in a couple's uh, situation? Yeah, so... We would hope, obviously, if one person or both are infertile, there's no blame going around, but often the case is is not that. So I do unfortunately see a lot of blame being placed mostly on the women and sometimes incorrectly um, for not being able to to get pregnant or to sustain a pregnancy. So when in fact, Noreen, actually it's one third of the fertility problems are due to the woman one third to the man and then a third to unknown factors or because both partners uh, are infertile. So this is a a fair distribution. Yet you're right. I think a lot of times Mm. a a lot of the woman seems to get the blame because we're the ones who carry the baby. So if if our body fails to do so, I think a lot of times women do get the sort of bad, bad, bad rep. Yes. And this is you know, I think make no mistake about it. This is a very well-crafted assault on women from years from years in the making. So I think you know there's still that underlying societal message that if you don't have a baby as a woman or if you can't, that you've somehow failed. So we've seen this you know across the board with women who have been successful in various realms of their life, but still have this sort of self-injurious belief that if they can't have a baby, that they've failed. Or their partners place the blame on that, uh, place their blames, place the blame on them, or, you know, friends, family, and so on. Yeah. yeah. How do you address this misconception then with some of your clients? You know, if they feel, oh, you know, it, maybe it is my fault, even though it isn't. Yeah. You know, I think I just point to the facts, which is what I just said about you know the one the the equal kind of distribution, and I really encourage them to just get at the root of the problem. So if the, if it if it turns out that it is the woman who's infertile, I just try to remove the shame from it and say you know there are many women who have have been infertile throughout the years, and there are different ways that we can start to to work with this. But I basically go down the path of normalizing it and not making them feel like ultimately they're failures. Yeah. When is the sort of appropriate time to seek therapy then? I mean, emotional therapies. Uh, do, do you see that sometimes clients come at an earlier stage and it helps them to cope better with their subsequent medical infertility mm. treatments? Or do they come much later where, you know, that they have dealt with a lot of these emotional stress for a long time already? Yeah, I'd say it really varies. So some people come very early in the process. So, you know, they've been trying for a certain number of months or a certain number of years and they just really need emotional support even before they start any kind of fertility treatments or consider adoption or surrogacy or 
you know, reaching acceptance that they may actually not have children. And other couples actually prefer to wait until they're on the path of actually, you know, using some sort of intervention or they've started the process of adoption or, or looking into surrogacy. So people are very different, Noreen. And I would say that, you know, if people have pre-existing kind of um, mental health issues, it's usually better to get help earlier on, yeah, just mm -hmm. to try to hedge against any kind of you know, major um, depression or anxiety. Um, I would say that a lot of people have trouble not necessarily carrying their own emotions, but kind of knowing how to interact with other people around their infertility. So I do a lot of work with just helping people kind of craft healthy boundaries in terms of, you know, what how they want to share this news with other people or how much of it and, and and things like that. So it, it really varies on what when people come into the therapy room and kind of what it is that they ultimately need. That's an excellent point, Alison, because I think, uh, you know, setting the boundaries, I think a lot of the times if we think topics like uh, miscarriages are taboos, but infertility is also in itself a taboo Absolutely. as well. And people, you know, well-meaning questions, but when you have a couple that have been together for a certain number of years, people will then ask you, uh, when are you going to have a baby? Baby or, or no baby in sight, and and they will yes. ask you these these questions. I mean, how should these questions be addressed when they are well intentioned, but maybe sometimes a hurtful reminder that you know one can't have a baby. Yeah, I think the societal forces around infertility are huge, and and it's it's something I think people don't realize until they're actually going through the the process of of starting to come to terms with what it may mean to be infertile. So, you know, whether they belong to cultures or religions or or, or certain groups of friends or communities who who have these assumptions, most of us at some point are faced with the question of when are you going to have a child. So, I think as it relates to boundaries, what's really important is that people start to identify what's comfortable for them, and this might change as their as their journey changes, right? So for some people, they need to be very clear that they actually are not open to discussing their choices around children, whereas other people are actually very interested in trying to get that support from people. But again, they have to be sort of um, very specific in what they might discuss with people. Yeah, and it's also different the way you handle friends or, or a, a, neighbor, a nosy neighbor, maybe, yeah. or colleagues, to how you'd handle family as well. Yes. I think it's tricky sometimes when um, when f close family members ask you because you want to be open, but you also maybe don't want to open up to the fact that you are struggling to conceive. Yes. And it's, you know, sometimes it takes longer than others for, for some people. Yes, absolutely. And I think once you open up the conversation with other people, you open yourself up to a huge range of commentary. And people who are often very well-meaning often say very, very hurtful things. Like, for example, you know, I hear a lot people just telling other people to just relax. Or that's don't be so stressed. Yeah, that's a stressful thing to hear. Yeah, when exactly. You're going through. It's like when you're yeah. arguing and somebody tells you to calm down. Yeah. That's right. Precisely that. Yeah. So when somebody sort of tells you these things, how, how should couples react without being reactive and, and hurting the relationship? Because, you know, like, like we were saying, these are well-meaning comments and then they just want to help. Absolutely. So I would say it's important to just kind of be a united front on this. So to make sure to discuss with your partner in advance, you know, when we go into certain social settings or when we're with certain people, whether it's friends or family, how do we want to start to respond to comments or questions about 
whether we may or not may or may not have children. So I would say just try to be as united as possible. And if there's a difference in how you want to respond, just make it clear to the other person that obviously you do feel differently. Yeah. yeah. Especially, I remember when, when when Andy and I, you know, first got married, and, and you know, we we didn't have children in, in the first year, and people were like, oh, no, no, no children. Mm. Um, when are you going to have a child? And I remember saying to Andy, okay, this is what we're going to say. We're going to ask them for their kids right. and make a joke of it. You know, you give us your kid then, and then that sort of just you know stopped the conversation. But it's tricky sometimes, yes. and sometimes when you're not in the mood for a bit of humor, you just don't. You feel a bit sort of ambushed, especially when these questions come again and again. Yes. And for some of these couples, it's not just months of infertility, but it could be years um, uh, as well. So what types of counselling will help these individuals then? Yeah, I would say that for some people, individual therapy can be very helpful, whereas for other people, obviously coming couples. into couples therapy yes. might be helpful. So it depends on the circumstances surrounding the infertility. So if you have a couple who are very kind of united in their pursuit of fertility treatments or adoption or surrogacy, um, it's often good if they can come in together just so we can kind of get support for the whole team. But for some people, actually, you know, there's a discrepancy in the couple in terms of who's really interested in pursuing different options to, to address the infertility. And in that case, it can sometimes be very helpful to first start with the individual therapy, because as we mentioned earlier, some individuals feel really blamed and, and really sort of, um, responsible you know, responsible, responsible, yeah. absolutely. And so that can sometimes be helpful is just to get the individual in the room to just kind of be able to, to share what's really going on. Yeah. Do you have any yeah. examples you can share with us that, you know, perhaps you've had, you've seen clients before and you've seen a real improvement of how the therapy has helped them cope better? Yes. So, yeah, I worked with um, a couple for about two years almost, and they had gone through about 10 rounds of IVF. Wow. Yeah. And it was interesting because they had both throughout the whole process been very clear that they wanted, ba you know, they wanted to have kids and, you know, they, they were implanting two embryos at a time. They were open to twins and, and all of that. And at the end of the last round, you know, the, the wife just broke down in the room crying and she said, you know, I don't really want this. And the therapy took on a different form, which was kind of getting the couple to be truthful. And it had turned out that the husband had kind of been pressuring the whole the whole conversation and so you know that's an example of where sometimes these th these therapeutic interactions can not, change. can can change yeah. and can really open up a different dialogue which doesn't necessarily end in having you know biological children and may mean that there's some acceptance or grievance that there is a difference in in the couple's perspective on on having children yeah. and i've seen the opposite as well where i've seen people you know who uh, who don't necessarily want to have children and one feels very strongly and then they ultimately get pregnant and, and are quite happy. Yeah. And also, you know, sometimes this can lead to other um, other other issues as well. Sometimes when you face challenges, couples can grow together, but sometimes yes. they can also go their separate ways and, and fall apart. I mean, how... Ha how has in, in in your sort of practice have you seen people sort of taking on couples therapy like this and then have to go their separate ways because they just want different things absolutely and you know the 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 
cost of infertility is sometimes not just the emotional stress that it can put on the couple, but it can also be a financial stress financial as well. Stress, of so, course. you know, as with any big money decisions a couple might make if they buy a house, if they move, if they make an investment, if they, you know, buy a stock or, or invest in a stock, there's sometimes just a discrepancy in terms of kind of how they want to move their resources around and how much they want to invest in this process. And that can ultimately create a major split between a couple. So I've seen, yeah, for, for financial reasons, couples kind of fall out, o- out over this. And again, the emotional investment can often be very, very different. So one person is often a little bit more kind of aggressive in, in terms of pursuing treatment. But I've also seen... <clears throat> excuse me, the flip side, which is that some couples just beautifully unite and they really feel completely united around having a child. And I've seen them grow much stronger. So yeah, I've seen the entire range, Noreen. And I think what's very important is, you know, a question you asked earlier about when it might be good for for people to come in for therapy is that I think at any point that someone or or the couple does feel like there is a discrepancy emotionally, financially in this pursuit together, better to get help early on than to let things fester and and find out kind of the truth later in the process. Absolutely. And it's not just, you know, within a couple's therapy, but individual therapy as well. You know, um, IVF can be very time consuming. I've had girlfriends who literally have to take days off work because of the days they ovulate and go go in for the therapy and, and the stress that accumulates from work, um, the feeling guilty of taking time off work yes. can also uh, be um, a triggering for, for some of them also. Um, Alison, Absolutely. thank you so much for your sharing thank today. Thank you very much. Remind our listeners once again how they can find out more about you and your practice as well. Sure. You can go to www.otnp.com or www.annerly.com.hk. Excellent. Thank you so much for your thank time Thank you this very week. much.